aloha. We're glad you've joined us for this Reunion Hawaii Church podcast. These teachings by our pastoral team are recorded live during our weekly services in Honolulu, Hawaii. We hope you will be blessed by this teaching. This is one of those weeks where um, I studied way in advance because um, I knew I was going to be speaking tonight. And I had sermon slides, you know, with the verses and all that already made. And yesterday, about 2 o'clock in the afternoon, I trashed most of that. When the Lord took this in a whole different direction, as he is wont to do sometimes. So um, I'll just tell you before I begin this that I have felt like all day yesterday that there were some people who were going to be here tonight, and I know attendance is down to holiday weekend and other stuff, people traveling and all that, but I felt like there was going to be some people here tonight who were facing hopeless situations or situations that you perceive to be hopeless situations. This is your night. So, um, I have, um, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about lenses tonight. So, um, if I look at you through these binoculars, you know, I can see pores in your skin and that sort of thing from up here. If the lighting was a little different right now, it's, you know, I have all the blinding lights in my face and you're in a darker room. But this distorts my view of the room. If I look at this, I get narrowly focused on exactly what this is pointed at, and I miss everything else that's going on in the room. Because that's what these are designed to do, is to zero in on one small focused area and bring it up close. That's wonderful if that's what you need to do, to focus on one little area, but you miss a whole lot of other stuff. I was at the Apple store the other day at Alamoana, and they've got this Apple Vision Pro VR headset, and there were guys all sitting around, looking around the room with this VR headset on. I don't know what they were seeing exactly, because I don't know what they were seeing, but they were all focused and had these VR headsets on, and what they were seeing was probably amazing for three or $4,000 or whatever that thing cost. But it wasn't reality. It was virtual reality, but it wasn't... They, weren't, they were not really clearly seeing what was going on in the room. They were seeing that overlaid with something else. So their perception of what was going on was distorted. Uh, I don't know if you've seen the commercials... I don't even know if these are real, if they really work this way. You've seen the colorblind glasses commercials? They're on social media a lot, and they'll see somebody who's colorblind, and somebody's bought these special glasses for them, and they're like, oh, I don't think that's really going to work. They're all negative. And then they put them on, and it's like a whole new world, and suddenly they can see colors that they've never seen before and they're like is this what you see all the time and they're all emotional and everything because those glasses change the way they perceive the world around them I, I myself have two pair of glasses that look exactly alike 
but they're not. The ones I have right now are for driving and distance, and these are like for computer work and reading. I had to mark them so that I could tell them apart because they look exactly alike on the surface, but they're not. They change the way I see everything. In my driving glasses, close-up stuff is not perfectly clear, but I can see you know the road signs and the, the road better. But if I'm looking down at the speedometer, it's not quite as in focus. And with my computer glasses, everything, you know, maybe arm's length is in perfect focus, but the back of the room back there would look really fuzzy and not, not so good. My long-range view would become unclear. And if I take my glasses off entirely, Everything's blurry. I can't see past, you know, the front row there. I have some vision impairment that needs some assistance. My lenses correct the deficiency in my ability to see things clearly. So now from the natural, you got it. I think everybody's on board with me here. You follow. Let's talk about spiritual lenses that alter our perception. I will make a bold statement and tell you that everybody Everybody reads the Bible through lenses, through filters. Everybody. You may be aware of yours more than other people, so you're able to sort of get past it. But everybody reads the Bible through lenses. And we view the world around us through lenses. And we size people up and judge them through lenses. And we view situations through lenses. I'll just give you a few examples to make sure you're with me. One of those is the lens of our own, our own culture. When I'm reading the Bible as a 21st century American, without any commentaries or study aids or anything, I miss maybe a hundred or a thousand references and insights because they're not part of my cultural context. I haven't dug those out and I'm just cold reading it and I, I got nothing to say, oh, did you know that in this culture, in this time, this was their understanding, therefore what you're reading means this. No, I, I miss all that stuff if I'm just cold reading it without any help because I'm a 21st century American, I'm male, I'm white, I'm old, you know, all of those things. <laughs> the problem is we often don't know what we don't know. That's the problem. So we only understand through our own cultural context, and we're blind to the things that might have been obvious to the people that it was originally written for, the audience who are reading it for the first time originally. And the important thing is that we can't sacrifice the essential message of the Bible on the altar of our own culture. We have to be aware of the filter, the lens through which we're seeing it and know that what I'm seeing is this and what they were seeing had like 14 layers of subtlety on top of it that I'm completely unaware of. Now you can become more aware of those things by studying and you know, get some good resources. But uh, it's important for me to point out here that contextualization, cultural contextualization, is one of the reasons Christianity spread across cultural barriers. Uh, you, if you were going to be a really devout Muslim, for instance, you almost have to read the Quran in, in Arabic. Otherwise, you know, it's just not the same. That's what, that's what Islamic believers will tell you. It's not the same translated. 
The Bible, on the other hand, has been translated and transliterated into like hundreds and hundreds of languages and dialects and cultures on, on purpose. It's on purpose. Contextualization is, is an important thing. I've got this great Vadi Bakum quote. He's a great theologian. Contextualization is essential for the growth and expansion of the church. But there's a difference between contextualization and compromise. Using goat's milk for communion in a culture that's never heard of wine or grapes is contextualization. Sacrificing the goat is compromise. Having a Saturday night service because we've run out of room in all four Sunday services is contextualization. Having a Saturday night service to accommodate and or appease people who are too busy on Sundays is compromise. Ooh. Vadi doesn't pull any punches when he talks. He's very straightforward. So we see things through the lens of our own culture, and we see things through the lens, sadly, of pop culture. The pop culture around us affects and impacts the way we see things. That first one's kind of innocent. You know, we can't help it. We live in this culture. The second one is less innocent. You have to be really on guard against this because instead of viewing pop culture through the lens of Scripture, the trap is that you start to view Scripture through the lens of pop culture. And that'll mess you up badly. Pop culture tells you that there's no absolute truth. You know, you should live your own truth. There's no absolute truth. And they say that ironically as if it's absolute truth. There's no absolute truth, and that's kind of, kind of funny. Pop culture will have you judging an eternal God against the changing standards of pop culture. Pop culture says Christians are haters, Christians are backward, Christians are this, Christians are that. And they're judging the standards of an eternal God against the changing standards of society. Pop culture will have you valuing the views of your gender studies professor, queer theory, cultural Marxism, some other ideology over the truth, the absolute truth of God's word. Um, pop culture, whew, yeah, I'm going to offend almost everybody in the room, so just bear, oh yeah, just get ready for it, okay? Pop culture will have you enjoying vicarious sin. Most of the stuff presented to us as entertainment is just watching other people sin in ways that we would never do. It is a lens through which you are viewing what is right and what is wrong, and it's a distorted view of what is right and wrong. I put a question in here. I guess this is for me and you and everybody else. Do you spend time and energy rationalizing and justifying things in your life to sidestep labeling them as sin? And I put a quote in here from a woman pastor that's a friend of mine who said, Jesus didn't give his life for mistakers. He died for sinners. So what we do when we sin is we call it a mistake. Oh, I messed up. I made a mistake. Well, no, you sinned. So own it. Deal with it. Uh, 
Sometimes we view things around us, all the things, people, circumstances, the Bible, through the lens of our own racial identity or our ethnicity. We read scriptures through our own life experiences in the context of those things, racial and ethnic identity. It's, it's fine to be proud of your origins, your ethnicity, your race, but it's not fine to impose your lived experience as an overlay onto the gospel. Before, I, I identify as a bunch of stuff. I, I'm, I'm Caucasian, American. I have Southern heritage. I was born and raised in Alabama. I'm a military veteran. I have all these other overlaid identities. But before any of those, <laughs> I have to view scripture and life through the lens of a kingdom. I am an alien and a foreigner on this planet Earth. I'm just passing through on a temporary assignment. All of those earthly identities are nothing compared to my identity as a son of the Most High God. That's it. That's way up here. All that other stuff, way down here. I, you know, I, I like America. I'm proud to be an American. Rah, rah, all that. Yeah, I served my country. I, yeah, went to Vietnam, did all that stuff. But that's not my identity. My identity is I'm a son of the living God. And this requires a lot of extra caution because, back to culture and pop culture, the world wants to divide us along categorical lines. It wants to divide us into racial, cultural, ethnic groups, political affiliation, all of that stuff. So to divide us and keep us from talking to one another and loving one another. And it's very easy to take offense when no offense was intended at all. I got a Sam Cabra quote here. Offense is a distorted lens that alters your perception of truth. He said that a couple of weeks ago in a sermon. Offense is a distorted lens that alters your perception of truth. Nobody offends you. You take offense. It's you who takes the offense. Nobody can put offense on you. You have to pick it up and carry it. So don't. Because it's a false lens. It's a false filter that'll cause everything around you to be distorted. Uh, this one's personal. The age, the lens of your age and your generation. I am a full generation above most of you and two generations above a bunch more of you in this room. Uh, anybody here over 40 ever watch one of those horror movies, you know, where the teenagers sneak out at night to party and they get in trouble? There's like a psychotic killer with a chainsaw chasing them and all that stuff. When you watch that at age 18, you're hoping they escape the killer. When you watch it again at age 40, you're thinking, well, your parents told you to stay home, so <laughs> should have listened to mom and dad. Your age and your life experience can definitely be a lens through which you filter the Bible. Some of the things you read when you're young seemed like restrictions to spoil your fun and limit your freedom. And that same passage read by an older person seems like timeless wisdom to protect you from falling, like a guardrail or a safety belt. It's a filter. It's a lens through which you see things, and it is, it's a real thing. And this one heavily impacts how we view circumstances. We decide that a situation, something in our life is hopeless 
because we've never seen God move in that circumstance before, personally. We've just never seen it. So we go, well, it's hopeless because I've never seen God do that. So consequently, consequently, we assume that he can't or won't move this time either because we've never seen him do that. Therefore, you know, that's just the way it is. Example, I, I've never experienced God healing a terminal disease, so I don't expect God to heal a terminal disease. Really? That limits God to the level of your personal experience. Your personal experience is not the standard. It's a lens through which you are viewing the situation. It's not the standard. (laughs) Noah had never seen God flood the earth, but he still believed God could do it. And would do it because God said he would. So he went and built a boat. I ask permission to do this. My friend James back there is in that Rolls Royce wheelchair with a, you know, fancy, fancy chair. I've never seen God heal somebody instantly of cerebral palsy. I know somebody who was healed of cerebral palsy. She's been to this church before. But I've never seen somebody get out of a wheelchair who's been in it for years. Does that mean God can't? It does not mean that at all. It just means in my experience, I've never been there to witness it. And yet I still pray. James. I still pray to see James up here in the front dancing out of that wheelchair. Because I'm not going to limit God to the level of my personal experience. How about the lens of theological perspective? I have friends, I have very good friends who are Calvinists. And they see the entire Bible through the lens of the five points of Calvinism. That's Everything. Uh, In fact, one of them argues with me and says, Calvinism is the gospel. And I go, no, it's not the gospel. (laughs) It's a filter through which you are viewing the gospel. It's a lens, but it's not the gospel. Cessationists see everything through the lens of cessation. They cannot and will not accept modern day miracles, signs, wonders, you know, all that stuff, because they're, they're... primary point of view, the lens through which they view God and the Bible and everything around them is, well, all that ceased. Well, will somebody who has that perspective ever see miracles happening? Probably not in their circle because they have shut their mind and their heart to see God do that. Therefore, they've kind of closed out what God's wanting to do and God's saying, all right, you don't want to see him? You don't want to see a miracle? All right, I'll move over here to these people who do. Legalists see everything as a rule to be followed instead of as a pattern to be observed. Pentecostals, we see the Holy Spirit in work in everything. I mean, everything we look at, the Holy Spirit's at work right there. That's, that's the lens through which we see it. I like this lens better than some of those other lenses. I had, a, uh, I had, a, I had some really good professors in seminary, and one of them was Dr. Donna Downs. She's a wonderful woman. She was pretty conservative in her, 
evangelical view of the scriptures and all that stuff until she was a missionary. And she said, well, you can, you can disbelieve miracles and signs and wonders and all that stuff until you're in a hut somewhere and there's like witch doctors over there praying against you and stones start to rain down from the ceiling of the room you're in. And then suddenly you believe in the miraculous and you call upon the name of the Lord and you start depending upon God's supernatural power to be stronger than the powers of demonic darkness that are fighting against you. Yeah. So let's, let's kind of look at another lens here and that is the Jesus lens. Reading scripture, viewing other people, seeing circumstances through the eyes of Christ. That's, that's the lens that we want. And that's hard because we're human. I grew up in a pretty legalistic kind of a context, and I can be very judgmental sometimes. I see people doing things that I don't think is right, and my natural instinct is to go, well, that's just, that's not right at all. They shouldn't be doing it. And probably sometimes they shouldn't, okay? Sometimes I'm right. <laughs> but the problem is, 1 Samuel 16, 1 Samuel 16. But the Lord has said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I've rejected him the Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. I, too, I do. I judge sometimes things from externals, from outward appearance. I see a situation and I think, well, that's terrible. That's not right. And somebody should go over there and tell them that that's not right. And the Lord says, you just stay in your lane over here, buddy. <laughs> I got this under control. You're looking at the outside. I'm looking at the heart. I, I, somebody taught me a long time ago that it's not that God is not concerned by your actions. He is by what you do. But he's much more concerned by the heart motive. Much more concerned. We can't see the heart motive. We size people up based on outward appearances, and we usually get it wrong. I'll use James again since I've already got used him once. Hey, James. <laughs> if you just met James, if you walked in here for the first time tonight, you saw James out there in the lobby on the, the welcome team out there in the lobby. Some of you would say, oh, that poor guy in the wheelchair. Oh, look at him. That poor man. Uh-uh. You don't know James. He's brilliant. He's hilarious. Uh, he's an actor in plays. He's the chairman of the state, um, state council on disabilities. I don't know the exact title. Forgive me. Uh, this is a very accomplished man. He's got a lot going on. Don't size him up from externals and, and write him off. You get to know him. You make a good friend back there, by the way. We judge people on outward appearances, and we usually get it wrong. I'm going to give you just a two or three. I don't remember how many I put in here. Examples of how Jesus saw people and how he reacted to people. Let's look at John, the first chapter. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, 
Where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you'll see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Have you ever been guilty, I'll raise my hand first, of seeing people as an interruption instead of an opportunity? Me too. I'm a guy who makes to-do lists. I'm very much a planner. Uh, I'm not spontaneous at all. At all. Uh, in fact, if I have my day all set and planned and something changes my plan, it just frustrates me to no end. Because that wasn't on my list. We didn't say that we were going to go there and do this. I can't change my plans on a dime like that. I mean, I, I can, but I don't want to. A little bit OCD. Um, it just makes me a little crazy when somebody wants my attention and it's not on my list. And yet some of the most amazing, amazing God opportunities and encounters that I can remember in my entire life were when somebody interrupted my carefully crafted plan and I had to leave about five things on my to-do list unchecked that day because somebody needed my attention at that moment and it was more important than the things I had to do that day. Jesus did not see people as interruptions. He saw them as opportunities. Just go through the Bible. Read with this filter. Read with this lens. Go through the New Testament. Go through the four Gospels and look at all the times where Jesus was doing something else and got interrupted and a miracle happened. In fact... Almost every miracle that I can remember Jesus doing was an interruption. Don't see people as interruptions. See them as opportunities. Be flexible. I'm preaching to myself. Be flexible. <laughs> don't get so locked in that you think, well, I've got these five things that I've got to accomplish today, and if I don't do these, the earth will stop spinning on its axis. Everything will disintegrate. The government will fail. Everything. <laughs> Probably not. Let's look at um, one more. Um, John chapter 5. This is the, the pool. People laying by the pool. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he'd been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water's stirred. While I'm trying to get in, somebody else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once, the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. For 38 years. 38 years. Longer than many of the people in this room have been alive. That guy was an invalid waiting for the right moment of healing. And Immediately, when he was obedient to the command of Jesus, it says, at once, the man was cured. How long did it take? At once. 
It didn't take another 38 years. It didn't take another year or a month or a week or a day. Now, sometimes God heals that way. I understand progressive healing. It does. God begins a healing in somebody, and it gets better and better and better. But this was not one of those cases. This was a miracle. And it was at once the man was cured. When we view people who are afflicted with what medical science deems to be permanent conditions, we see them through the lens of our flesh. We see them through the lens of logic and the lens of our experience dealing with afflictions. Science says, well, there's no cure for that. Our logic says, well, that's unlikely that anything's going to change. Our experience says, I've never seen anybody instantly healed of that, so I'm not expecting to see it now. So we lower our theology to the level of our personal experience. But when you view those same situations through the lens of Jesus, through the eyes of Jesus, it's very different. Jesus did not see hopelessness. He saw a miracle waiting for a chance to happen. He saw a person who needed healing, and Jesus, Jehovah Rapha, was standing before the man with the power to heal. And that made all the difference. I put this in my notes. Do we really believe what we preach and teach? I mean, do we really believe it? Or is it just like, well, on paper we believe this? Has the power to cure infirmities instantly diminished in any way since Jesus was walking on the earth? No. Hasn't diminished one bit. Same power. And I believe, I'll go ahead and prophesy this, I believe we're going to see those kind of miracles right here in this church. If I didn't believe that, I wouldn't be up here tonight. I'm thankful for every migraine that gets relieved and every pulled muscle that gets touched. But I want to see people who are sick and afflicted through the lens of Jesus, the healer, Jesus, the miracle worker, Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. And I don't think people need to be sitting by a pool for 38 years waiting to encounter the power of the living Christ. We are his representatives right here on this earth. He lives within us. It's time for that to be manifested. Some of you are not sitting by the pool as an invalid. But you might be in a situation that seems just as impossible as that man's situation. Jesus is here, right now, in this room. And at his command, impossible circumstances change. At his command, situations that have plagued you for years and years and years are immediately reversed. You either believe that or you're in the wrong building tonight. This 
is a room full of faith, and this is a house of miracles. That's what this church is going to be known as, is a place of miracles. People are going to fly here from other places and come. If I can get there among those people with that kind of faith, I believe I will see a miracle in my life, in my situation. Jesus asked, do you want to get well? Do you want your circumstances to change? Do you want that situation resolved? So I'm going to put you on the spot now. If you're here and you're in a situation that looks hopeless, if you're in a situation, I don't care what it is, financial, emotional, spiritual, whatever, I don't care, relational, don't care, doesn't matter, none of that matters. If we're looking at this through the eyes of Jesus, those are just tags that are hung on the hopelessness. If you're here and you're in one of those situations tonight where I don't see any way out of this. This just absolutely looks hopeless. You're in the right place tonight. Because this is a room full of people who do not see hopelessness as final. That's not your destiny. If you're in one of those situations, I'm going to ask Rachel Johnson to come. She's going to lead us in a time of prayer. But if you're in one of those situations and you want prayer for tonight, don't come up to the front. Just stand right where you are. If, you can, if you're able to stand, stand. Hopeless situations. I don't care what it is, financial, physical, emotional, spiritual, whatever. Rachel. Okay. If you are filled with faith... Um, I'm going to say one last thing. If this is something you have been prayed for over and over again, and you maybe feel a little, ugh, I don't want to stand this time, um, I would just invite you with faith to stand, that there's, a, there's healing in the room tonight that the Lord wants to heal. And so I invite us all to stand, even if it's just not a physical thing, but it's a relational thing, if there is... Um, marriages, relationships, something for your parents, um, even stand in proxy. I invite you to stand if there is someone you know that needs healing for their backs or they need healing, people that have been in accidents. Yeah. Thank you, Lord. Okay. People not standing and you are filled with faith and the Lord wants to heal. Yes. Please get around the people that are standing. I know we might have more people standing tonight than not. If not, we're just going to, yeah, everybody should be moving around at this. I just invite you to find someone. So if there's the people sitting, if you could get around the people that are standing. And people that are standing, um, I would invite you to, because I think we're, a lot of us are standing. We'll just pray for each other. Yes? Okay. So... Um, I don't feel like there needs to be details shared. I really feel like the Lord knows every detail. Um, we're going to just hear the heartbeat of heaven. The Lord loves to heal. Let's say that together. The Lord wants to heal. The Lord wants to heal me. Yeah. Okay, so if it's safe, um, ask the person beside you to lay hands on a shoulder, a safe area. Um, people that are standing together just lay hands on each other. Yes? Yes. Come Holy Spirit. 
Okay. Holy Spirit, would you rest upon each and every person here tonight, laying hands on each other. Empower them with your spirit. Start praying for each other. You are the God of hope. Let the violent hope of heaven come. Fill our prayers. We call spines into alignment. We call reconciliation for relationships. Marriages to be restored. Hearts to be healed of traumas from childhood pain childhood abuse, healing of hopeless situations of our hearts. We pray for any lingering pain from accidents to be healed in Jesus' name. All sickness and disease to bow to the name of Jesus. All cancer cells, we curse you cancer to die in Jesus name tumors to be healed in the name of Jesus that healing flow like a river you are the healer Jehovah Rapha be glorified. All healings, glorify your name, Jesus, here. This is your reward, your 39 lashes for our healing, God. Restore marriages, Jesus, represented here tonight. Lord, heal hearts. Jesus, you're the God of reconciliation, financial provision, there's no way on earth that things could happen, Lord. Open the gates of heaven for finances, Lord. Open the gates of heaven for finances. You are the Father who owns the, all the cattle on the hill. That the lame would get up and walk in Jesus' name. We speak to bones and muscles to be healed. Yeah. Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for what you're doing. Okay. Thank you, Jesus. We speak to muscles. I would invite you, if it's anything physical that needed healing, that you would be able to test out to begin to move those things in faith to see what the Lord has done. If there's anything that you can test out. Thank you, Lord.
If anything seems better that you can test out, wave a hand in the air to give the Lord glory. Yeah, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. We give you all the glory, God. If it's something that's not yet 100, I encourage you to pray again. He's a God of completion. Expect phone calls from people of relationships that need reconciliation, the Lord says. Expect heart postures to change. Hearts that seemed rock hard, the Lord is moving, tenderizing hearts, bringing healing. I see court verdicts, people that are in trials or things like that, the Lord is moving on your behalf. Impossible situations, he is moving on your behalf. Generational things being broken off. As you pray for complete healing, healing to your family line, the Lord says. Oh, even health issues that have been passed down generationally, the Lord says, no more. We apply the blood of the lamb to every family line represented in this house. Generations to come. Yeah. Autoimmune, the Lord is healing. Thank you, Jesus. If you've experienced any type of healing that you can test out and see, I would love to just see hands waved in the air if that's you've seen any healing, just to bring the Lord glory. Yes, amen. Thank you, Jesus. Um, could we just, as a family, just thank the Lord? I just feel like uh, what he started here tonight, he's not gonna, he's not stopping. He's just gonna continue especially when it comes to heart issues or reconciliation or family line things, but specifically all things that were hopeless or you got some kind of diagnosis that they said this should blah, 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 that the Lord is moving on that. So let's just all together thank the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. We thank you that you are a healer, God, that you love to heal. We thank you, Lord, that you move in signs and wonders and miracles for your glory, God for your glory. All glory goes to you, Jesus. All honor, all praise. We thank you, Lord. We love you, Jehovah Rapha. In Jesus' name, amen. If you, if you, um, receive some kind of a healing like immediate kind of a thing either physical or in some other situation tell somebody around you tonight let them know give that testimony to them tonight some of you i feel like the lord started some stuff also that he's going to continue to do some of it was not immediate healing some of that i i i felt it while we were praying that the lord was beginning some stuff that you may wake up in the morning and go huh what just happened here this is all fixed it's better than it was last night when we prayed Receive that in the name of Jesus. Receive that, receive that, receive that. God bless you. Thank you for coming. We're going to.
We're going to close it out. And don't forget your kids if you've got kids in children's church. Don't keep the kids' workers back there long. Um, thank you for being here tonight. God bless you. We'll see you next Sunday. For more teaching like this, subscribe to this podcast. If you would like more information about Reunion Hawaii Church, our website is reunionhawaii.com. If you're in Honolulu, join us Sundays at 5, live at Kahalama. Aloha.